episode number 49, Jamie Nesbitt. Welcome back to The Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. I am, as usual, your host, Michael Cruz, and this time I have an interview with projection designer Jamie Nesbitt. Jamie and I met this summer at the Shaw Festival, where he was designing The Hound of the Baskervilles, and we had a great discussion on how he thinks projection should be incorporated into your design, and, I guess, into his design as well. Uh, And I must say, I saw two great productions last week that I thought did a great job of telling the story by incorporating projection into the design. The first was the new Rufus Wainwright opera Hadrian, directed by Peter Hinton and designed by title block veterans Michael G. Francesco, Bonnie Beecher, and Gillian Gallo, who did sets, lights, and costumes, respectively, and Laurie Sean Bourgevoy, who did projections. The other was Outside the March and Musical Stage Company's Dr. Silver by Annika and Britta Johnson, directed by Mitchell Cushman, and with projection designed by Nick Blay, or is it Blaze? I never said that word out loud. Uh, Anahita Debony and Ken McKenzie, sound designed by Richard Farron, and video designed by Nick Bottomley. Now, Laurie Sean and Nick did something that is quickly becoming the standard in Canadian theatre. The video was seamless integrated well into the drama and did not ask the other elements to compromise in order to support it. It was supported dramaturgically and was inseparable from the other design elements. Just extraordinary. Now we'll talk about these elements of design in this interview with Jamie Nesbitt. Now Jamie and I had a conversation about a show that he saw and did not quite enjoy as an illustration about the use of projections with live actors. Now it goes without saying that this is an issue really of personal taste and was a discussion we felt was important enough to have to leave it on the show, even though it may sound a bit disparaging. Now, it was certainly not meant as a slight on the hard work uh, and what sounds like quite a successful uh, projection design by the creative team on the project, but it should be considered the start of a conversation about the use of projection design in theater. Enough said. Uh, Now, as well, we have a discussion about digital rights management, now something that neither of us are experts on. If you have thoughts about this topic and want to share it on this podcast, because it's a really important uh, topic, especially in this age of such accessible uh, um, elements available on the internet, I'd be happy to talk to you about it and share it with our listeners. This is an important topic and we need to talk about it more. Now, I'm also very close to finalizing my trip out to Vancouver in December of 2018. I'm so excited. And I have confirmed interviews with Mary Kerr, Sue Benson, Michael Whitfield, oh my goodness, and many others, at least seven or eight others. This will be the first time I'm traveling outside of my local area to collect interviews for the show. And I'll need your help to make the trip a success. So please go to patreon.com and pledge your support for the show. You'll find a link in the show notes to direct to the page. Thanks to those on Patreon who already support the show. You're awesome. And now, my interview with Vancouver-based projection designer Jamie Nesbitt. Jamie Nesbitt has been a Vancouver-based projection designer for the past 15 years. He's focused primarily on live theater performance and has worked across Canada and internationally. Jamie joins me at the design office here at the Shaw Festival in July 2018. Jamie, welcome to the title block. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's great yeah. to have you here. Um, so, 
My understanding is that you started in theater not as a designer. No. How did you make that choice, and how did you how did you start off? Well, I was an actor when I was a kid. I was a theater nerd kid, and I was doing theater when I was you know since I was like eleven or twelve years old, and trained as an actor at a film school, and um, and then at that film school, I, I I made some films of my own and kind of got on the other side of the camera and really enjoyed that. And then, but then worked as an actor in Victoria for a while and then um, decided that I wanted some more training as an actor. I didn't feel like I was really there yet. And then uh, got into Studio 58 in Vancouver as an actor and did that, did acting for about two years there and wasn't really enjoying myself. And at a certain point, we know through dialogue with the staff, the at the faculty at Studio Fifty Eight thought it'd be a good idea for me to switch over into to design. They thought like I had a career and they had a potential for a career in theater, and they thought you know it wasn't going to be acting. Um, so, uh, which in in turn they were they were right. Um, and I I had seen some shows in town um, that were starting to use projections quite extensively, um, in particular the Electric Company, and. I thought, oh, what about combining my love for film and theater together and doing this projection design thing? And, uh, you know, I was, you know, Vancouver is, uh, has been kind of uh, the the hotbed, for, I think, for, for kind of innovative theater for a long time. At least it was at the time. Um, so there's a lot of people that were, were doing it then. And so a lot of uh, inspiration was around. And Tim Matheson, uh, who's a fantastic uh, photographer and designer, um, he he was you know, one of the earliest projection designers in the country. And he was doing massive shows with slide projectors, like actual slide projectors. Mm -hmm. And he was a really um, great mentor for me and helped me get jobs early on. And um, so, yeah, so I switched over and uh, started uh, doing work right away. And there was a real need for um, projection designers at that time. Um, You know, there wasn't that many people doing it. What what would just just uh, give us a time, like a time frame of this? This was the early to late nineties, early two thousands. No, yeah, I guess. Well, uh, I was I started studio at two thousand three, and then um, started working, kind of in school. Like I was working professionally at school um, in two thousand five. Right. So yeah, and and we were doing uh, (laughs) shows with DVD players at the time. Right. All right. So tell me about, uh, just pick up the story again. When you started working with the electric company, was that your first, you were assisting there with, uh, with Tim? Like was your first? Um, there was a, cu- a couple of companies that I was working for. Um, I got a, a artisan residency grant to work with Pi Theater and um, I did a, sh- a couple of shows with them and they were really um, helpful in, in my career. And then um, my big kind of my big show that I started working on was called Studies in Motion with Electric Company. And working under uh, Robert Gardner, who is, I think, the lead design instructor at UBC currently. And he's a fantastic designer. Um, you know, he really pushed the boundaries of, of projection design. Um, and he helped me a lot. And so his thesis was, uh, he got a, a short grant to, uh, and his thesis was to use video projectors as lights. And so he had great gear and um, great resources and, um, and then a great show to work on, and, which was Studies in Motion, written by Kevin Kerr. And so we, uh, 
I, I got on that show early, early days and uh, was really hungry and uh, ended up being the assistant designer, I think was my, end up, my, my uh, title. And then I toured with the production as well um, as it toured across the country. So that was my first big touring show, which has been, you know, touring and traveling has been a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. And that was the first real big one that, uh, that I did. And so that, you know, that, that was a, re- and it was also great to be experimenting with projections, um, and have the time to do it too. You know, like it was, we, you know, we weren't kind of under the gun of, of a, of a tech period, um, right away. We, we, we had weeks to, at UBC to, to learn the technology. And I learned a program called Isadora, which is now, you know, pretty uh, ubiquitous in, in theater. Uh, so I, I kind of busted my chops really early days, um, in a, you know, a free kind of scenario, which was really nice. And what about projection specifically attracted you? Like there's a, you know, it's not, um, at the time there was a lot changing in theater, but, you know, traditionally the visual space is sort of controlled or conceptualized by a set designer and yeah. uh, maybe in collaboration with lighting designers and yeah. sound and everything else and costumes. But uh, what about projections specifically attracted you to that profession? I think it was the integration between all the video and all those uh, and the physical world. You know, that was it was there was ma- there was magic there mm-hmm. to it, it was surprising to suddenly have you know we were at that time in large scale projection was just just in a movie theater, right? So to have it become 3D mm-hmm. in a real way was really exciting. Yeah. And um to have the integration between the physical space and also the actors. And so that was really exciting. It, there was, there's, there's a magic to it at that time that and it's still there, but uh, that's what really specifically drew, drew me to it. I mean, I'm a theater person. Like I like live shows. And so to kind of enhance the live, um, the live aspect of it was, uh, yeah, it was enthralling. It was, it was really exciting to be a part of that. Uh, great. And so did you, after you assisted on that show, did you start designing your own work? Like, yeah, you had done a little bit of that beforehand, but yeah. So I, I work. I had a residency at, at Pi Theater in Vancouver, and I, I did a couple shows for them um, on my own. And then I worked for um, Green Thumb Theater um, in Vancouver. And then I, I guess it must have been through Studies of Motion, but I don't know how I ended up working in Toronto. Um, a few few connections, and ended up working in Toronto. And there wasn't really a me in Toronto yet, um, so I was working, uh, you know, working with Cahoots and, um, can stage and, and, and a bunch of those companies early days in my career. And so I yeah, just ended up working in Toronto a lot. Um, but decided, you know, I think I had, I really had to make that decision. Like, do I want to move to Toronto? And, um, because there is more work here. Um, but you know, you know, I, I had a girlfriend who's now my, now my wife, and I love Vancouver and love the life there, and um, so kind of choo- chose to to keep that at, um, as part of my life and and not do f- theater, only, like make a move just for theater. So I, I you know made the choice to stay to Van- stay in Vancouver for life as well. Um, yeah, and then and then just toured and traveled um, for a long, long time, and still am. Uh, and just before we leave, tell me about Studies in Motion. What was the end result? Like, what was the product? And how did you get, like, can you describe the show to me? And I don't know it very well. So give us an idea of what, uh, what ended up happening. Um, it was, so Studies in Motion was a very physical piece. And 
it was based on Edward Muybridge, who was known as one of the inventors of film, essentially. So he was one of the people that put a series of photographs together and, and spun it on a wheel and, and, and projected it. He was, he was a projection artist, really, in a lot of ways, too. And so Robert Gardner was using video projectors to light actors and dancers in very specific ways. And so he had a, a video projector on, on the grid pointed down and then uh, one from the front. And then as the show progressed, he added more and more video projectors and used um, side, side video projectors. Um, his big thing was to, you know, after the show, to get people to come on stage and look up and, and there was hardly any lights up there, which was such a weird experience for people. And uh, it was uh, choreographed by Crystal Pite, who is, you know, one of the best choreographers in the world. And so, in the, and then Kim Collier directed it, who's a, Kim Collier directed it, who's a, you know, visionary Sminovich winner. And so the, the combination of, you know, all them and Robert um, created this magical world of, of, of uh, really specific um, lighting design through projectors. There was some scenography as well, um, using, you know, imagery, which is more kind of how I like to create, but, uh, um, and, and, the, and I think the experiment was, um, was largely successful. I think there's still some challenges to it, specifically around the color temperature. Um, I never really felt like the warm scenes were, uh, successful because the color temperature of projectors is so cold and, and the show largely, um, was a cool kind of toned show. So it, it worked, but there was a couple scenes like in a garden where it, it looked nice. It looked pretty because Robert's such a great designer, but it really didn't capture the warmth of, of an outdoor space. Right. So, um, it, you know, it kind of, I think it kind of failed a bit there and it, that's just uh, the failures. It wasn't based on any of the artists involved. It was, it's purely just a, a you know, a, a technology, a technology thing, right? Just, you just can't do it. Right. And, um, so and that's, and that's a thing that I've struggled with. I mean, I, I saw a couple of Tim Matheson's slide projector shows. And they weren't bright, obviously. But there was a warmth to his designs that I've never been able to achieve in 15 years. And I, I don't know how, you know. And, you know, we're all trained to, to we're becoming more and more trained to experience to, or just comfortable with how video project the story of uh, stories are told through video projections nowadays, but I still think that the audience doesn't know what they're missing. Um, so it, it's just, it's, I mean, I don't know how to get around that issue. Um, maybe someone smarter than I like te- technologically could, figure, could answer that question, but uh, it's definitely a struggle. That's interesting. I mean, I, I think I find the, the difficulty I had with integrating projection uh, through video was exactly this problem, right? You're trying to find uh, a medium to match to everything for, for everything to match, even if it's just in the as a as a static set piece. Um, and I always find it difficult to sort of make warm choices in front of that and try to find make them both be part of the same world, um, which is not a problem with the traditional tungsten sources, yeah. right? Even large pony projectors and um, uh, in slide projectors, although slide projectors were never really good enough. <laughs> like you can try your best, you can stack them and raster them and everything else, but 
still a challenge. Uh, but at least they matched, right, with that 3,200K. Um, and, you, and, like, is there a way of... I, I want to take a little diversion technically just because I, like, I feel like people have maybe have tried to put a CT filter um, in front of the projector to, to knock it down to 3,200K. I mean, that... That kind of throws. I mean, how do you design for that? Like, you can't build media for that because then you have to set your monitor at three two hundred k or whatever, right? Like, like is that reasonable or is that just not? Does that fail every time? I, I've I've tried. I tried it early days. It was it was just so dim. That was the the biggest issue. It was like we were already working with projectors that were inadequate to to match lighting. So to throw a filter in front of things was like, I just can't, I, it's not worth it. Even though I, I did kind of lament the loss of, of warmth mm-hmm. and it was important to me, but I just couldn't bear to be, you know, it's like, you know, I've already chopped my legs off. I wasn't going to chop my arms too. You know, I just, I had to, I had to, you know, that's the thing with projections, like, especially in the early days, you know, I would create something on my monitor and it would look fantastic. And then I'd throw it up and it would look like shit. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up having to boost contrast huge and uh, really bastardize what I had created. And so that's a big learning. And, and, that, and that still happens, you know, like I think it's going to happen on this show that we're doing here at the Shaw Festival. And I'm going to have to really boost contrast for various reasons. Um, so, I, you know, the technology that exists for a show will inform what I'm creating, mm-hmm. um, and a or or the or the conditions of the theater will inform the decisions that I make creatively. Like for instance, we worked at uh, I've done shows at Bart on the Beach in Vancouver in, in you know tents, and uh, everything has to be high contrast. You know, um, so the two shows that I've done there have been black and white, mm-hmm. and that's just a condition that I set for myself because there's just no other way to 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 do it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, with any sort of, um, well, just, you know, like I, I'm, I'm interested in beauty and creating something beautiful and, uh, and I don't want to just create something and boost the contrast and have it just sort of, just so it can read. Mm-hmm. I want it to be beautiful. Um, so to give my, to, to, you know, to have that knowledge prior and, and is important so I can, I can create, um, with confidence that it's going to be somewhat lo- look like somewhat what I intend it to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does strike me that, uh, like in in that way, lighting has a is is in the same spot. I mean, I can't create something, I can't make a drawing, uh, or do a rendering, or even in programs like WYSIWYG, or uh, I'm not sure if Vectorworks does rendering. I imagine they do, but I would never think of doing lighting rendering in Vectorworks. Um, they never, as close as an approximation you get, you're always going to have to recreate for the space, mm-hmm. and you almost. I mean, uh, if you've got experience, you figure out what works and you you can predict more easily what's going to happen in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that way, uh, you really are just doing a sketch uh, with your best possible guess back in the studio. And then when you get in the space, now you have to really adjust for live performance, right? Like that's where the real creation kind of ends up, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's the biggest challenge. In a lot of ways, it's the biggest challenge. It's just that, that time crunch, you know? Um, you learn so much when you see it on stage and, uh, the Canadian theater model is, is such, and especially in the indie world. And I mean, the model, it makes it seem like it's theaters is, you know, 
it's theater's fault, but it's Canadian theater's fault. It's not. It's just, you know, it's a lot of it's a product of just, just money, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, regardless, you're still in there for a couple of days and you're scrambling just to try to get to, to function right. a lot of the times, just technically function, let alone, like, you know, adjust to the art mm-hmm. and what, what the art needs and what the story needs. So, yeah, that's a huge challenge. Um, great. So how about, uh, other, uh, like what kind of tours were coming out of Vancouver? What were you working on in the, you know, the mid two thousands that, uh, that you feel are, are sort of, uh, um, endemic of your work? Like what? Right. Well, I think what makes me unique for lack of a better word in, in, as a designer is that I'm a theater, like as a projection, what makes me unique as a projection designer specifically is that I'm a theater artist before I'm a projection video person. Um, so my, I'm always thinking about theater. I'm thinking about actors. I mean, I trained as an actor. I love actors. I have a huge respect for what they do. Um, so, you know, I'm always trying to support what's happening on stage um, I've seen a lot of incredible video artists come in and, you know, kind of try to put their stamp and make a, make a show and it may look pretty. Um, yet it, it's, it seems kind of irrelevant to the story sometimes. So, you know, I, I always approach it from a theatrical point of view and the story point of view. And, and, um, so, you know, and, and so I was doing, I don't know, I did shows at, um, can stage, uh, Frost Nixon and, was one I did there. And, um, I love working with sets and, you know, that show I was working with Patrick Clark, who's a fantastic set and costume designer. And, you know, he gave me a great canvas to work on, you know, three dimensional, all sorts of layers. Um, and we, the show was you know set in, in this in the seventies and and so the whole design came from that time and we and that's another and that's another thing that I feel like is I'm going on a bit of a tangent here but a lot of it's really easy to access image like through Google Images specifically and I feel like and I just, and I do too like don't get me wrong I'm always on Google Images trying to find stuff you know but I'm also looking in books and stuff but. A show should come from a period of time. It should be artful. It, you know, I, I'm looking. You know, I'm looking at specific artists when I'm doing a show. Like, oh, this artist is interesting. Like, maybe this is like kind of the container, the visual container for the show. And as as opposed to it being this kind of Google image smorgasbord of of image of of images. So you know nothing frustrates me more when I go see a, sh- a projection design and it's like realistic photograph, painting, animation, uh, uh, video clip, you know, and, and it may be in isolation. All of those image, all those moments are beautiful. Um, maybe they're even telling the story well, mm-hmm. but they're not a, a unified whole. Right. And if you saw a set that was like that, you would be hor- you would be horrified. Like, what the hell is this? Like, why is there a, a donkey on stage? And then there's a, a you know, a, you know, a, a bunch of circus clowns or I, I don't know. Like it, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but the point I'm trying to make is that 
projection designers need to approach the work like any other designer. You know, um, a set designer is going to do a ton of research. It's it's going to be specific to the period, to the show. You know, every single color molding, wallpaper, texture, material, it's all part of the same whole. And a lot of projection designs don't do that at all. And it, it, it baffles my mind how that can happen. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't baffle my mind. It's easy, it's, it's easy to do that. And so I think we, and there's no art in that, in my opinion, you know, so. Do you think that that's because, um, the problems that we're expecting projecting to solve are very specific and that, uh, people who are like the directors and playwrights perhaps, or maybe even the theater production team, uh, is demanding things of projection designers that are are not in the context of design. Like we have to save money on this or we'll do uh, I can't, I can't realistically reproduce this on stage. So we'll get a projections letter to do it yeah. rather than saying, how do we tell a story with projection? Yeah. And that's the reason why someone would do that would be, it might not just be because of uh, lack of imagination and maybe just lack of money. It, it may, there's, there's, you know, there could be lots of reasons why, you know, projection is kind of called to save the day. But I think that's true uh, to a lot of extent. Um, you know, you, you're, and that can be laziness too. I mean, it can be laziness. You know, you're asked to do this fantastical thing in the script. Well, you know, so video, I think it's because we live in a mediated world and our, our fantasies are, are, are in image and, and video. So we think that way. Um, yet, you know, that fantastical image could be with one light and one actor. It doesn't have to be with projections. I think sometimes we sell ourselves short as theater artists and think that we, it's not enough like the actor and the words or the mo- or the movement is enough. So we, and we don't have confidence in, 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 in that. And so we, we go to something big and huge and, and, um, and often it fails because, you know, you need, great equipment and you need, I mean, video takes a lot of time. That's another aspect that we could talk about here is that, you know, creating a a big fantastical animation sequence could take months just to create, you know, a minute of content. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's, and it also could work by just throwing up one image and it just, it tells the story perfectly. So it it really is moment specific. Uh, is it fair to say then that we shouldn't rely on projection to save the day? Like, is that a good rule? Like you should be making, you should be making that choice for another reason, right? Totally. You know, um, I'll sometimes challenge a, a director to ask like, well, why are we, why, why am I, why am I doing this moment? You know, like th- this actor is just an, is doing a great job. Like, why do we need to throw something on top of it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, you know, I think, I th- you know, it isn't a, a, a financial thing a lot of the times. Um, I'm seeing that more and more where video is, uh, where the, the set is just a screen and a, and a, and a projector. And, uh, I kind of, it saddens me a little bit, to be honest. Um, I love working with r- sets and different textures and different angles, um, where video becomes a surprising element. Mm-hmm. 
an integrated element as opposed to here's, here's the video. And we, you know, walk into theater and there's a screen and there's the image and here we go. Um, I mean, that can, and those shows can be great. Don't get me wrong because there's, you know, incredible stuff that's happening these days. Um, it's just, you know, I love where, where else in the world do we get to come together and to sit in a theater and where we smell and touch and, 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 and then we watch the, this, the, the physical world that we know it outside be transformed before our very eyes. Um, so I, I, I love when I get to like work with a real set and, and integrate video, uh, in that way. Right. Yeah. I, uh, just as a, as a side note, I just was in New York on the weekend and I saw Mean Girls on Broadway, yeah. which quite frankly was an incredible show yeah. in and of itself. Like I was not prepared. I was prepared to be a bit of a theater snob yeah. and go, Oh please. But it moved me in many, many, many different ways. Uh, the projection, um, production design, though, was literally the entire back wall of the set was a video wall, mm-hmm. curved, sliding panels, but the entire backdrop was constant video. They had some three-dimensional elements that came out to sort of complete the picture, and, you know, in a couple different cases, they uh, did a great job of integrating. Like, it was all, it was all well thought out, yeah. but it was literally a giant video wall yeah. that people acted in front of. Mm-hmm. Uh, all LED, so you, it could get really bright, and you didn't have to worry about. There was no other compromises made, right? And I guess if you're on Broadway with a multi-million-dollar production, you can you can afford that kind of you know thing for a several-year run. Um, but uh, that's it. Also, was an area. It was also a play about social media and you know the way that we communicate in today's world, which is different. But it seems to me that there is a certain magic in integration in having the three-dimensional world and the two-dimensional projection world and the three-dimensional kind of moving actor moving through time all integrated has a certain magic to it that is that is that doesn't that is betrayed by the actor with the screen behind them yeah um uh I think for me that issue is solved or um, it by cl- great collaboration. So um, I think there's a, th- you need to have a certain kind of humility to you know, like, okay, well maybe projections isn't the right thing for this moment, you know, and maybe lights is, or maybe it's a combination of lights and video or all well, this costume is just, just so fantastic in telling the story in this way. And so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love getting in the room and, and hammering it out and, and ultimately trying to tell this moment for the story um, well, no matter who's taking the lead in that moment or not, right? So, um, yeah, I think, you know, if, if, if that projection, if that um, uh, collaboration isn't there and, and, and there isn't that kind of humility in the group and then the kind of that, that, that group, there is not like a, we're serving this story mm-hmm. quality to the collaboration, then you have a real competing of, of, of elements and actors and, and stuff that, that doesn't, that it, it can be confusing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not something that might not be incredibly apparent to an audience member, mm-hmm. um, or even 
the designers because it's kind of a subconscious thing potentially even that they're fighting but they don't even know it um so yeah i think great collaboration um from early days is super important in in, in terms of integration because pro- integrating projection is a inherently pro- challenging thing to do right. especially when you're working in big space well no just generally i mean we're all programmed to take in to consume image all the time we're always looking for it we're we're, we're, we're you know our phones are always are they're designing them to to focus on to color and to to moving things and and so that um is magnified huge when you know sometimes i'm doing shows i've done shows where the screen's like 100 feet wide you know so um and then here you have this incredible actor who's trying to do do you know who, who could be no, I worked at a show at Charlottetown Festival, um, and Angelina Kennedy was was the lead performer, and I had this huge screen behind her, and it was really challenging not to upstage her. I mean, here's like one of the best performers in Canada, and you know, from you know, just by a glitch in the screen, in my you know technical glitch, I could just totally upstage her. So um, integration is super super important when you're doing a projection design, um, and. Uh, you know, and, and another example of that, this, uh, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but, um, doing, we just, did, I just did Rocky Horror at, um, at Stratford and, uh, Michael Walton, who's the leading designer there, a fantastic designer. We're good friends and we have a really great collaboration. We said from early on, it's like, why don't we like decide our colors early? Um, and we, we'd been inspired by the arcade fire concert, which had a lot of great, um, the most recent tour, which had a really great, um, connection uh, the video and the lights had a really great connection through color. Right. It really worked together. And so we thought, well, what about like, let's start early days. And it, it's it kind of more fell on me early days cause I'm creating video content early. Right. So I was like, each scene, we kind of agreed on a color palette. And uh, Michael G. Francesco, who was a set designer, was also involved in that process and, and helping kind of choose what colors would work based on his set and just based on his incredible um, wealth of knowledge that he has as a designer. And instinct, too. He's a really great designer. Um, anyway, so we so each scene that had like a color palette and all the video content that I made was based on those colors. And then he had those colors as well. And then he... <laughs> And I mean, it's such a simple thing. Like usually like I'm, I'm making choices about color all the time, but it's like, we're kind of, we're figuring it out more in the space and the tech and we're trying to fighting out like, Oh, what color are you using here? And what color? And, and, and oh, maybe if we could try this is like, no, like let's start with a base coat of color. Mm-hmm. And that's what everyone says about and what everyone says about the design from like a positive aspect is that it's really integrated. You don't know where set video or lights or costumes starts and begins. Yeah. And, and that's really because of making early choices on color. And it was such a revelation for me. I was like, I just knocking my head against the wall. Like, why didn't I work like this before? Like really way earlier. Cause it's just such a simple thing, but that's just the way I am. I overthink things and then finally come back to the simple choice in the end. It seems like, um, like the end point of the beginning of the revolution for projection as integration in theater design, right? That like, that seems like such an obvious thing. Um, and why aren't people doing it? I want to, just before we go back to the sort of revolution of the digital revolution, which I want to talk about, yeah. um, and to finish this conversation, when should we choose, when should directors and creators choose to integrate projection into design? In traditional um, 
you know, in traditional theater design, you know, we know we're going to need a set designer. We're not going to be a costume designer. Those people are often the same person, but we know we need people to deal with those two aspects of design. And we need a lighting designer to sort of tie everything together. And then we need a sound designer, uh, uh, you know, obviously to put things together. Although at some point, sound design was very much left to someone searching out sound effects and then the technical, like that was sort of the later addition uh, to the design team in many cases. But that was like a traditional thing. We know we're going to need these things. Um, we, we all often in the past, you know, only knew we were going to need a projection designer when it was called for in the script or when there was a specific problem we had to solve. When did we decide to add a projection designer to the team and how do we make that decision? Uh, well, I think your example of Mean Girls is a good one. You know, um, I think our world is a mediated world. And so the stories, modern stories, it's going to be pretty apparent, you know, more would be more apparent that, or, or just, there's just going to be more opportunities to use projections in modern stories. Phones, screens are everywhere. So, uh, I think that's a pretty good reason to use it. Um, and then magic, I guess, you know, that there's a magical quality or a magical possibility in, in using projections. So that's often a time where I'm brought in where it's like, there's this magic moment that we want to make happen. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, I mean, it, it, it could be wrong, right. but often it's, 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 it's a, it's a you know, great reason to use, to use it. Cause um, I think cause we're not used to, I mean, we are more and more now, but you know, there's, there's some, there's still that magical uh, quality of, of, of seeing, video used in a, in a, in a, in a non-familiar way. So that, so, so using it for magic is, 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 an, is another reason. Um, and then sometimes, I mean, there's just, there's, you know, really huge, like there's a lot of writers will write scene, write shows that have a lot of scenes and a lot of locations. So that's some, and you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the use of projections specifically to tell, like tell the story of locations, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's important. So, um, and then sometimes, um, you know, montages, uh, you know, to tell what happened in between. Um, and that's, and and that's a script thing. Like sometimes the script requires that. So, I mean, there's lots of reasons why to to use projections, but there's often, you know, the, the problem that you're solving or, um, with projections could be solved with another design element or with an actor or whatever. So it's not always true that projections should be parachuted in to, you know, create a magic moment. Um, so. All right. So let's go back to the transition to digital uh, design in theater. And uh, back before I was working, uh, before I was working, before, but back when I was working, um, the projection was often the purview of the lighting designer to solve certain problems in the, in the script. Uh, Location, texture, uh, you know, slide projectors were kind of uh, the sort of base level in small theaters uh, that we used. That's base level technology in small theater. In larger theaters, we used Pony projectors, which are basically the same technology. It's just a larger source. And there was always a struggle with brightness. Then we transitioned into arc sources, uh, which uh, were always corrected, very often corrected to tungsten, uh, which is again, like we identified earlier, changes the, you know, and then you lost your brightness that you were gaining from having, you know, uh, uh, you know, 1.2K or whatever HMI source. 
Um, and then something happened. We have this early in the early two thousands. We have technology being accessible for projection in uh, in theater. Um, can you tell me about what your relationship was to the previous technology and how you fit in and, and describe what you saw as happening in the early 2000s with digital design? Yeah, I don't often, uh, I, I don't often, I try not to talk about being old, sure. <laughs> you know, I, it's not something that's interesting to me to kind of, um, put a label on, on that for myself. Uh, yet when I talk about the early days of my career, it makes me sound old inevitably. So I started on the heels of uh, slide projectors just going out. I never did a slide projector show, um, but I did shows with DVD players, believe it or not. And I would, every new cue that I wanted to make, I had to burn a whole new disc. So I would, at the end of a, tech process I would have a stack of like a hundred DVDs tall such a waste and so because and so there and there was I mean you can imagine there's tons of issues in in creating shows with DVD players Mm -hmm. um but that was kind of just the way it was um the and then I I was I was working with an early version of Isadora Mm -hmm. At the time as well, which uh, which which is a great program, and that um, Mark I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but the creator uh, Mark of Isadora did a great job on that program, and, and so we used that early days um, and QLab early days. I'm more of an Isadora guy than I'm a QLab guy, to be honest. Um, and but yeah, it was DVDs, man. We uh, one time we had um, four DVDs stacked, players stacked, because we had four projectors, and we had the way we found out how to do it was to have a rem- guy, the operator with a remote at a certain distance away from the DVD players and pressing skip forward. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was, it, it was consistent enough that we actually went with it for the show. Right. That seems such a high risk. I remember there was a, um, volcano show that integrated video probably in the mid two thousands. What was the name of the show? I can't remember. Uh, but they actually used a switcher, I think. They used a video switcher to go through, which seemed like, um, I mean, it was a good solution. It was it a much a, more yeah. smoother solution. Yeah. But when you're using all hardware-driven re, uh, you know, replay, then that seems like the like that's what you have to do. Yeah, the biggest problem with DVD players was that it ha- you had to st- to stop at the end of a chapter. So, so the cues were chapters on DV- on the DVDs. So you couldn't have like a looping background, like everything had to ultimately stop at the chapter mark in order for you to, to, to do a seamless skip from chapter one to chapter two or whatever it was. So yeah, sometimes we would use switchers, so we'd have two DVD players running through a switcher and so that we could have nice fades in between things. So um, we, I use switchers as well. Hi there. Yeah, I know this interview is going really well, but before you skip ahead, just shuffle over to the show notes, if you could, and click on the link to the Patreon page for the title block. It does cost money to produce this time capsule of theater design history, and for a couple of bucks an episode, you can ensure that I can continue to put out great interviews with designers like Jamie Nesbitt. Go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate now. Thank you for your help. 
one of the things I think that revolutionized video early on was this idea of a media server. Um, now, is Isadora, this is in sort of live, I used to work at, at um, Cast Lighting and, was, and work on WYSIWYG, and, uh, and we did, dealt a lot with the live performance, the musical live performance, um, or live performance of music. I want to say rock and roll, but it's not rock and roll. Uh, and, and media servers became the way to, on the fly, make different choices, much like you're doing in lighting. Um, again, I'm not a projection designer. Is it, uh, Isadora and QLab are more Q-based. They're, they're Q-based discrete moments, and you can't really mix live on those, right? Or is that what my understanding mix li- is? What do you mean by mix live? Like uh, choose at the last minute to add in this clip or to oh, yeah, have... Totally, oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, no, you can totally do that. Oh, you can? Oh, right. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so, so describe the sort of transition... Um, to that technology to me and how it changed your approach. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've worked with all sorts of programs. Um, Stratford now has the, the top projection design software in the world, I would say, um, called a program called photon. And so it's an interesting, I, and I just used it for the first time, um, a couple of months ago and it was a really, um, big moment for me to be able to, to work with that software. And it, it was a, it was a benchmark moment for me. Like, Oh, like, well, things have changed quite a bit since DVD players. Um, but you know, another one of those benchmark moments was working with Isidore and QLab for the first time and to be able to work in a, in a workshop scenario, um, was huge. Um, so to be able to move a, an image, uh, on the fly, from one area to another, whereas before I would have to burn a new DVD to move the square from, you know, stage left to stage right. Now, in the moment, I was moving an image around all over the place. I was distorting it. I was adding effects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, I could, I could actually be a collaborator in the room. So that was a huge transformation. Um, you know, the, you know, the clips had to be small, low res generally at the beginning. Um, so there was issues with that. It was still, I was still having that head banging against the wall moment where I had created something cool on my computer and then had to bastardize it (laughs) just so it would read on stage. But it was a huge thing to be able to be, be one of the collaborators and, and, and feel like I belonged here because I can, I can, I could, I could keep up. That's terrific. Uh, awesome. So, uh, any other kind of key moments in your career in the last 15 years you think are important to cover before we move on to sort of the more abstract? We've talked about a lot of abstract things, but I just don't want to leave anything behind as we move on. Right. Like things that you felt where you learned something important or... Um, well, I think um, I have a great respect and love for... Not love. <laughs> I don't love all tech, technological people, but I, I have a great respect for for what they do. I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. I I I like I. I'm trying to challenge myself for my animation skills, my graphic design skills, and very early on, I I just I knew that's that's where my interest lies. I I want to create beautiful moments on stage. So my career has really been about growing as, um, a artist from that perspective. And I think a lot of people shy away from becoming, doing projection because they, there's such a focus on technology. Mm -hmm. It's, it's such, it's, it's dominant. Mm -hmm. 
And I get intimidated by it too, you know, because I, I, I'm just not like talking about zeros and ones and all the gear. Like I just, I'm just not like, I know, I know, I mean, I know it well enough to do my job, but I'm not hungry to like get the next latest, greatest thing. And, um, I want to, I want to create beautiful moments on stage and I, and I, and I want to, I want to learn about the history of art. I want to learn about this great graphic designer. I want to learn, I want to like soak up all these great animators. And so, you know, I, I try to, when I, I hear a lot of young designers coming out and who are kind of intimidated by projections because there's this kind of cloud of technology over top of it. And don't get me wrong, it is part of it. But I think the projection design as a whole would be better served if there was more people who are approaching it from an art perspective. Um, often I'll see a show that like is really cool how they did stuff or whatever, but it, it doesn't, it, 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 there's lacking in, uh, in the, maybe the beauty or something about it that, that for me and from my perspective, um, some of the best projections designs that I've seen, you know, have a really nice combination of technology and, and, and beauty. And, and so, uh, you know, my career has really been about like learning up from more than learning from other projection designers, been learning from like set designers, learning from costume designers and their use of color and their use of pattern and their use of negative space and all these kinds of things that, um, we don't, people don't talk about as much in projection. Like it's, it's so much about the, the technology. So, you know, my career has been marked by just, you know, taking that next step as an, as an artist. And, and, and I don't mean to demean the, the technology people who are really technology focused because I need them and, and I, and I have huge respect for their brains and what they do. And, and they don't, a lot of those people don't want to approach it the way I want to approach it. And I respect that. And, um, so, um, I think there's room there, there needs to be both there. There needs to be those, both those people there to, and sometimes that, that there, that, that can be one person. And I guess I kind of cert, I am that in a certain way, but, um, I'm definitely more on the art side than I am on the, on the, on the technology side. So, um, I think my career has been marked by just growth as a, as an artist and an animator and a graphic designer more than, more than anything else. So let's now transition into your general approach. Um, uh, we talked, again, we've talked a lot in this program about uh, how people approach design. And, and I think that everyone who has listened to, you know, more than a few episodes uh, has gotten the sort of general flavor of how to, how to approach a design. There's research involved. There's discussions with the director. There's analysis of the script, etc. And there's a certain collaboration in the space that occurs with many, many designers. Um, how do you start your process, and what do you think is important uh, for you to remember when you're uh, you're starting a projection design? Uh, I, I, I mean, probably this is going to be a familiar story, um, but maybe it's not familiar with projections. I, I, I just do a ton of research, and I, I get curious about different artists, um, different styles, um, painters, and. I mean, this is, I mean, I, uh, that's, this is from the design, like purely from the aesthetic point of view, mm-hmm. you know, I really do a ton of research. Um, and then I'll also, but, and then it, and that research gets really specific mm-hmm. generally to the point where 
maybe there's one artist that I'm drawing from as my kind of aesthetic inspiration for a show. You know, I try to, every show that I do to have a unique visual voice, like it, 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 it is unique to that show because the show requires, every show requires it. It needs to be unique. Like you wouldn't expect every set design to, to look every set design or to create a similar set design, you know, the great set designers are, are, are inspired by a show and then they, it, it, it happens and, and, and it, it becomes this unique visual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the same is true for my approach to projections where I'm trying to find that, that nugget, like that artist really tells this story for me like that, that that makes sense for me this play and that artist there's something or or this art period or or it could be more general like black and white photography or whatever it is um so every show from show to show it, every show i do is it looks different mm-hmm. and it looks unique so there's that aspect of it and also i really love being in the room early days there is still this um, old theater tradition where the set designer and the director get together, and then then, then eventually get, the set gets dropped on your lap. And I I really don't like that approach. Um, I mean, sometimes I mean I understand why it's, it happens. Sometimes there's like a director and a set designer who have a great collaboration, and then that's the, that's the key kind of relationship. And I understand that, but I try to get the, get in early as possible. So that decision just i mean just purely on a technical level so that decisions are made that don't screw projections or don't screw lighting or whatever that you know oh the you know we're not going to be able to there's not enough space that means to get a uh, you know to get rp get a rear projection screen in here um so we need to rethink that even just those basic kind of technical problems that can come up um but so but i'm trying to get in the room early i love like you know, the magical what if, like, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And, and, and sometimes it's not even projection idea that I'm coming up with. Sometimes it's a lighting idea or it's a costume idea, or sometimes the costume designer is coming up with a projection idea. Um, so I love, I mean, that's, that's what's so great about what we do is that we're still with people all the time. You know, we're in a room and there's nothing else. And there's just this play and this group of people and we're, trying to make something beautiful like and that is i love that i love people i love working with people so um my process is heavily involved influenced by the people that i'm working with terrific and uh, it's encouraging i think that that has been something that's very obvious in the last few years that that is generally the approach i think that's considered best practice in the industry now where you're not just dealing with one designer eight months in advance or four months in advance, you're actually getting the team together to have a conversation. Uh, even though the economics of theater may um, dictate that, uh, you know, certain people are only available certain during certain times, yeah. that certainly happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, it sounds like that's best practice, and I think that's a good thing for people to take home. Um, uh, and as far as, I wanted to ask you a question. Back in the day, uh, back in the day, back when I was working, mm-hmm. um, a lot of original video projection uh, work involved bringing in video artists, people who were fine artists that worked in video and galleries and, in you know, and they would be brought in as collaborators and video artists 
because they come from a different tradition of, you know, original auteur kind of creative work, they were bringing in their work into theater. And it often seemed like there were a lot of compromises in order to support their work. Um, I don't quite understand what you mean. That you're an original creator and that your work involves these, this color palette and this, these forms and these shapes and this movement and not, uh, it sounds like you're from the school of, um, the play is the prime mover and, you know, I'm going to tell that story in any way possible rather than I have an approach to visual, you know, my visual environment that I want to create. And you have hired me to create that in your world. Yeah. Uh, Does that happen still? There are, you know, collaborators outside of the theater from coming in to produce work or do you find that's, that's not the case anymore? Um, Yeah, it does happen for sure. It does happen. And I saw a show where there was, um, a scrim in front of the audience and in between the audience and the, and the actors for the majority of the show. Mm. And uh, on the scrim was various um, projections and they were, they had um, green screen elements. Like uh, the whole stage was um, upstage of the scrim was, was green screened and the actors were inc- like meticulously integrated into the, the projections and it looked fantastic. Mm. Uh, they did a really great job on from just from a purely from a pure technology point of view, like and and all and art, like just the vi- the, the video looked awesome. Right. I hated the show. Right. I felt like it was just because the actors were just hitting their marks and and they were doing, they were acting great in the story. The, the, the play may have been great. I don't really know to be honest, but they were there was no reason to see them on stage they were only there to serve this this green screen idea that was then making this movie um and it felt like a big fuck you to theater obviously that wasn't the intention but that's what it felt like as an as an as a as a patron to see the show was like why the fuck is this a play why isn't just just a movie and so to me, that was a clear example. What I think that speaks to what you're saying. It was like someone who is a film person mm-hmm. coming in and had this cool idea how to make a live movie, mm-hmm. but they completely neglected the performers on stage. There was no mm-hmm. the the live aspect of what we do was completely unimportant. Right. And so that was a clear example of, for me of just someone who doesn't really get theater and, and, and doesn't get what, what makes it great. Um, and trying to, to make a play. Um, and I, 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 I really loathed it for that reason. Um, although I really, I mean, I, there was clear artistry done. Like it wasn't like they're not artists, they're fucking incredible artists and, and, you know, better than me to be honest, but, uh, uh, that it was just, was so anti-theater, which I, I really, you know, struggled with. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about a number of times in the show is that the design should be, should look like it's lacking something until there's an actor on stage. When Mm. the actors are on stage, then it should be complete. Mm. So you're not trying to tell the story by yourself. Like this is a three dimensional temporal, you know, live, piece it's not a it's not a proxy for film right oh i love i love that that's that's a really nice way of putting it 
uh, I think there's this kind of, there's a, you know, actors can be annoying and that whole thing. And there's like the, the division between the tech design and the, and the actors and yeah, it's funny, you know, we all do it. Um, but I think there's also kind of an underlying, um, there's a design tech people don't really understand what it takes Mm -hmm. to do what they're doing Mm -hmm. and that it actually is really fucking hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't true for all designers and techs that they don't get get actors. I'm, you know, it's hard to make general statements in these things, but actors are completely vulnerable and exposed out there. And, um, and the ones that do it well, they're drawing on incredible technique Mm -hmm. and vulnerability and and power mm-hmm. and we need to support them we need to support the real the, the main storytellers mm-hmm. of of a traditional theater piece right. and there's a there is a there is a kind of conflict between those two and i mean i know actors can be you know full of anxiety um sure. but i think just because i've done it and i've come kind of a failed actor <laughs> and so I, I just know how hard it is to do what they do. So I, I hope that, you know, that there is more of a, of a, of the, you know, that there can be more love between the two mm-hmm. because I think it's important. I think it, it I think it helps. I think it helps story, the storytelling too, yeah. to, to trust that the actors have power and, and need to be supported. Yeah. L- you know, not always, but largely they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I know as a lighting designer, you are dependent. Like my my work only looks good if the actor stands where they're supposed to stand, or I'm putting the light where they want to stand. Mm. You can't be in conflict about, you know, when you come in, could you just go down right because that looks like you can't do that. They want to go down center or wherever they have to go because mm-hmm. their next three moves depend on it. So, yeah, we have to work together. I like that idea of supporting a primary storyteller. Like mm-hmm. I think we should give that up to the performers on stage as being, they are the people who are leading us through this world and we cannot be in conflict with that. Right. Um, not, another collaborative, um, uh, collaborative experience in theater is certainly uh, in theater design is certainly between projection and lighting. Uh, and, uh, b- you know, before we have the advent of the, you know, professional projection designer, this was, this very often fell on the lighting designer to sort of make up these elements. How do you, um, how do you work with a lighting designer to find a happy medium between, you know, the spill on the screen and integrating a screen into this like kind of chaotic, um, you know, uh, lighting environment on stage? How do you how do you mediate that relationship? Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's the most important relationship that I have with any other artist on a show. You know, I'm uh, projection design is kind of the middle ground between set and lights. You know, if, if you had to kind of place it somewhere. So a lot of it is, um, is the plot of the lighting designer, you know, and, and where they place their lights. Um, but, you know, this gets back to what I was saying earlier, that if the lighting designer and myself are not working with the, the set designer, maybe there's not the, there's no, we can't put those side booms in between the legs because there's a, you know, there's a big set piece there in the way. And now we have to light from the front and there's tons of bounce and it bounces on the screen or whatever. So, you know, again, it gets back to collaboration. It gets, it's get, it, it, you know, thinking through all the permutations and problems that could ha- arise from, you know, um, trying to tell a, a story point in a certain way. And, um, 
it's, it, 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 and in the room, it's challenging, you know, it really is, you know, because often still to this day, I'm asking the lighting designer to compromise their vision in the service of seeing the projection more. And that's an uncomfortable thing to ask. So, I mean, the director needs to be able to say, okay, well, if, if there's a conflict, which will happen, the director ultimately needs to be like, well, we need to see the projections here, or I need to see this actor. I cannot see this actor. And then I have to say, well, okay, well, we're not going to see the video in, in this. Like we're, I'm, I just, there's no way else I can boost the contrast and boost the brightness. Like it is what it is. And so ultimately the director has to make that call. It doesn't always come to that. And, and hopefully, and, you know, I, I, I tr- we try not to, it tries to be some sort of, often there's a creative solution there, but it, it's a challenging relationship. There's no denying it. There's no denying it. Has the technology helped? Like back, oh, yeah. uh, like it used to be, but this idea of struggling with the, the brightness of projectors, like mm-hmm. as projectors have become more higher detailed, higher contrast, higher, like the just the number of lumens coming out of a projector, mm. that certainly has made our job easier, right? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. I mean, I've had moments after 15 years where I've been asked to turn down the projections, right. <laughs> you know? Which is, uh, I mean, soon that'll be a, a funny thing to say. But um, for me, that's that's been like, it's been fun to actually have someone say, turn down the video. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's the, it's the crucial element to, to great integration is that the technology is powerful enough to, to do the job. Yeah. And how about this? Uh, uh, I mean, LED video walls are outside of the budget i think of most yeah theater at least uh, small to medium-sized theater the, uh, the large commercial theater can probably avoid it um are you are you missing out on that would you prefer to have that in place of uh, an actual screen or a projection surface and a projector or i imagine they solve different problems right they, cre- they create different problems yeah, too sure um yeah you know i think it's i think they're useful I mean, speaking in general terms, I feel like they're useful and potentially in musicals where you have a, you know, a a big bright show. Um, but I don't really like the quality of them. There's something about it that feels foreign to me. Uh, you know, maybe there's, yeah, like it it may be a show that requires it, that quality of light. So it makes sense, but you know, just throwing it into any old show, I'm not a huge fan of them. I've used them in, in outdoor scenarios before, and they're great for that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it, they're just so, I find them offensive, to be honest. Uh, yeah, they certainly do come from that, um, like they have a certain place in. They're, they're, big, adver- they're for advertising. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's right. what they're for. They're for advertising yeah. product. It's about, it's about the thing, yeah. it's about, you know, the image. That's the story element you know and so it just blasts over everything so i i find them i find them obnoxious (laughs) my understanding is in a recent production in toronto they were running video walls in the show and they were running them at like three or four percent yeah like they you never run them at full right i was kind of remarked just a just a side thing in new york the i was in times square which is an unbelievable cacophony of visual assault yeah uh and it was remarkable that all the video screens in Times Square are at full brightness in noon and look like there's no sun on them. Like they look just like 
like I can't imagine having it inside the, I mean, obviously you're not choosing those products inside the theater, but it is a different thing. Um, uh, just about your process, I wanted to maybe get, uh, just for the students out there who are thinking about how you flow from idea to stage, um, what technology are you using? What programs? How do you move things between? Are you creating in Isadora? Are you creating in Photoshop or in, you know, other Adobe products, uh, Illustrator, whatever, to get to that point? Like, how do you move your work along? Yeah, I recently taught a, a master class at the Banff Center um, this year, and um, you know, I, I I did some basics on how to blend and um, and how to use Isadora and QLab and stuff. But ultimately, I mean, a big part of the the course was uh, learning Photoshop and learning After Effects, and um, I think those are more important in a lot of ways than learning the projection design software. I mean, you can, in a couple hours, you can learn how to go from one cue to another, a basic crossfade, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that's not hard. Yeah. You know, After Effects, and, and I mean, obviously, and then, you know, Watch Out and all these other programs that I work with, they there is a whole ocean of knowledge that's underneath it that you can get into, so you can do some really cool stuff. But, you know, After Effects and Photoshop are crucial, you know, learn those programs, do it, do it well, learn it well, um, learn how to work with cameras and after effects, um, learn how to composite, um, learn, yeah, learn, learn how to use, um, trap code particular, um, uh, you know, learn all these things because it's going to make your show look great. I mean, I've seen a lot of designs where they, they'll use the, video generators within Isadora or within QLab. Mm -hmm. And it just, it looks like a screensaver, you know? And sometimes show that it's, it, 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 that's what it needs. Mm -hmm. Often not. Right. And I, it just looks phony and false to me generally. So, you know, and I think it just shows a kind of a lack of, of ability to, you know, to, to create work in Photoshop or in After Effects. So, you know, that's something that I often tell students when I'm teaching them is like learn these content creation programs and learn them well. Yeah. Uh, and that seems like it has to be a component. Um, it shouldn't be an afterthought in theater training programs. Like if you're thinking about projection design, you probably have to start early and you probably have to think about uh, much like life drawing is a, you know, a basis of, you know, a figure drawing is a basis of, it's essential basis of fine art. You have to learn how to use, how to get your ideas into a computer. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like that's an essential component of that kind of training. Like you shouldn't be, it's not something you should be learning on the side just to sort of try to figure it out because you're going to use it eventually. Like it's the core yep. training, right? That's a, it's a, exactly. That's a great way of putting it. You know, it is, it is, it is the new drawing of, right. yes. of projection design. Exactly. Fantastic. All right. Um, we talked about your approach. Um, any, do you have any kind of, um, have you noticed, I mean, you spoke about how every projection, every, um, production looks different, which I think is kind of the hallmark of a designer who's focused on serving the play. I can think that that is, uh, that is, and again, this is a theme that's in many other disciplines that's come up on the show where you are trying to make the best design for that production. And therefore you're not putting your own ego kind of, um, uh, on the show. Do you find 
yourself drawing from certain techniques or genres that reoccur because you feel like they work well on stage and and what are they and yeah um i find i i I go back to paintings a lot like old paintings um part of it is just like it's it's not um I can steal it, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I'm not, I don't feel, I don't have that uncomfortable moment of like, I'm not trying to steal someone's work. Um, so, uh, you know, that's part of it. But it's also, uh, I think, I think I just, I'm drawn to the artistry of, of, of the, of painters and, and, uh, the, uh, and I, try, I, I tend to work with painters that, or with painters that are like totally realistic, uh, um, so there's something about, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so impressed by what, what they've done with, you know, their imagination and, and a, and a paintbrush and, and so, and then to, to animate paintings has, has been really fun. I really love animating paintings. Um, and you know, and, and a lot of reason to use paintings, why I use paintings is because I'm working, a lot of shows are were written 200 years ago or hundred years ago or whatever. And so that's like the dominant media form of the day. So it makes sense that I'd be making those choices. Um, uh, right now, I think this is an opportunity for us to discuss maybe Hound of the Baskervilles. You are doing this at the Shaw Festival. How have you, um, how have you now integrated this idea of like, how does this idea of using artwork that's contemporary to the period of the play, mm-hmm. how have you integrated that into, into your design? Yeah. The, the, what I was talking about with um, paintings applies here. And um, Arthur Grimshaw is a famous British painter who I've been really inspired by in this show. So he's the touchstone artist that I've been, I've been drawing from. Mm -hmm. And um, he's got this great sense of moody uh, England, Mm -hmm. moody Victorian England um, with, you know, kind of, sand and rust color, um, yellows and, and um, ambers and stuff like that. So, and then also just the trees are really great in his work and the, the silhouettes and the shadows of the people and the, the use of, uh, of, of moonlight is really kind of, it really draws itself to creating a, it's, it's a mystery show, right? Yeah. So, um, he really made sense, uh, for the show. So I'm using him and other painters of the day and then, making them my own and, and cutting them up and blending them and, you know, adding animated trees and adding clouds. And, um, and then also there's some elements of, uh, Victorian collage. So there's a lot of great, um, medical drawings and things that are, that are so weird and creepy that I've been using as well in some elements. Uh, so, and animating those, um, have been really, really fun. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, every show I do is like I get kind of obsessed and curious about mm-hmm. stuff, and um, that makes the work easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's often if it, it's and so it's a kind of a self, it's just a selfish thing, right? To 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 find something that I really like, mm-hmm. and just so it makes it easier to do the work. You know, if I'm if I don't really know what it is or why why I'm creating something, mm-hmm. like it's so hard. Mm-hmm. And when there's that inspiration and those other artists there and they're there to like, they're kind of my muses. And so they're there to help me create a show. 
one of the hallmarks uh, of lighting design is this idea, this temporal sense. And then we really figure out those kind of movement between states in the space. Mm. Um, and I imagine you're doing the same thing with Isadora. The, the animations themselves, um, you are, are you changing how they move through time in real time in the space? Or do you have to go away and fix something and come back? Um, how are you able to sort of adjust that in the space as you figure out as the play moves? Yeah, I, I could do animation in Isadora, but I could never do this design yeah. um, through Isadora. Sure. So, um, and so it's a slow process. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, working in After Effects and, you know, some of my, you know, one queue could have a hundred layers, literally. And so there's layers of fog and trees and smoke and wow. and people and clouds and, you know, different um, hills, hills, you know, and there's fog in between each hill and, you know, so like in, in that kind of level of detail it would, it would just bog down Isadora and you just, you just couldn't, you just can't. So this show I'm, you know, creating everything in After Effects and all the animations are done in After Effects and Isadora, which we're using here this year, um, is just a playback software essentially. Uh, and how long, so you, you, um, it must take some time to render a new queue, mm-hmm. eh? How long is your turnaround time? Like you think, oh, that has to slow down, that has to speed up, and we have to end, you know, three seconds earlier. How, like, how long does it take to re-render a new queue? Totally depends. Yeah. Um, and it depends on, like, this, this show is really a, a huge render hog mm-hmm. because it's this huge panoramic screen, kind of like a la Mean Girls that you are talking about earlier. It's this giant and so the the resolution of each of my cues is 4096 by 768 right. so it's just a huge huge res um um every time every cue right. so i'm actually quite concerned about it uh, that it's really going to slow us down because i have like you know 100 cues and um and the projections is the set in a lot of ways i mean dan osborne's done this fantastic job of, of integ- i mean she's such a great designer and she's doing costume and set and she's done you know we, we do have set elements um however the the set really is is the the it it tells location more than anything else you know and so it needs to be there and it needs to be done done right so um i'm concerned about it you know i think we're going to actually bring in another like a computer just for rendering yeah, because uh, I think we could get into trouble. So rendering is is there an important concept to 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 understand and to do test prior to getting a theater like oh look this queue is going to take yeah, you know x amount of time. So and that's another little I mean this is a really very specific technique um, I um, to, to to say for this podcast, but you know render you can render out specific elements in your in your composition. What's called in an After Effects. Mm-hmm. And like, if you have clouds that are animated, instead of rendering, like I would render out the clouds mm-hmm. layer, bring it back, oh. and then re-render it as and re-render the clouds as a whole with all the other stuff, right. as opposed to rendering the clouds for the first time right. every time that I render out that composition. Right. So I'm trying to pre-render things. That's a really important thing, like to save time yeah. in the end. Yeah. yeah. So two things strike me about that. First of all, I have no idea how to get to that point. Like this is a completely foreign technology yeah. for me, right? Yeah. Um, and 
it seems simpler than it really is now. Right? You're not just playing back a found clip. You are creating uh, a, like minutes, maybe tens of minutes long sequences yeah. that take time to do. Yeah. So how should we plan for that in you know, our production schedules and budgets? Like, Seth, this is a real impact on what you do, right? For sure. Uh, I do a lot of, whenever, whenever I work with a new director, I do a lot of educating. Mm-hmm. And you can, if I get to tech and, and, the, and the director doesn't understand the concept of rendering... Mm-hmm it's a big problem because there's, there's a total uh, mismatch of, of expectations. So, you know, when a director talks about, I want have this idea to animate this thing and have this thing move. I'm like, well, okay, just so you know, that's going to take a long time to render. I'm happy to do it for you, but know that it's going to take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, projection being the newest kind of design medium. And often I'm working with, I still have, work with directors who still haven't worked with video that much. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot, it's just an important thing to talk about so that the, the director knows what they can expect from me. Mm-hmm. So setting up reasonable expectations helps smooth out the, the you know, an, uh, an intense tech period. All right. So certainly a discussion you want to have with your production projection designer before, well, you probably you even engage them. Like you have to make sure that this is not, that, that somebody has thought about the time involved and yeah. the cost of being in it. Like if you have a three-day production period, you're going to have to do everything beforehand and there's not going to be any chance really to do any major changes That's once right. you get in the space. That's right. Um, okay. Um, I did want to talk about rights. So you use a lot of, when mm. you're like digital rights management is something that has become increasingly an issue mm-hmm. in theater, especially, mm-hmm. with, especially with sound design. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, what's funny... I attempted to record. There was a there was a discussion about digital rights management in Toronto, and uh, I I don't make any money from these podcasts. I distribute them free. There's no real revenue source here. Thank yeah. you to those who support me on Patreon, but there's not a support, lot of support. 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 Uh, but uh, you know, I couldn't record the digital rights discussion because of a digital rights issue. <laughs> right. Right. But these are experts in digital rights. Yeah. So how do you um, how do you manage that in video? Like, do you only use stuff that's in the public domain? Uh, if you're pulling issues off of Google um, images, um, how do you, uh, like, how much should we pay attention to the digital rights of those objects and how do we manage mm-hmm. that in a production? Uh, uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, my shows are my, sh- they're from my creation. Um, often, like, the elements that go into creating an image that I see on stage, um, you know, like wood paneling, I have wood paneling that I need to project onto the the set. If you were a set designer, you would go buy some wood, you know, and assemble it together. Um, Okay. If I were to buy wood paneling, molding, all the molding that I'm using, the, wallpaper the whatever like do do the the industry of projection design in canadian theater would fall on its face uh i try to use everything in public domain as best as i can um and i never use like if i'll never use like a an artist's work just project it 
and without me doing something and changing and manipulating it considerably. Um, so rarely would you see something on stage and be like, oh, that's from whatever. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's um, uh, flaws in my uh, logic from a, from a legal point of view, I'm guessing. There would be flaws in it. But, you know, if there's... So if, yeah, so, and, and I'm, I'm purchasing clips too, but there's a lot of free stuff on the internet too. You know, there's a lot of free green screen material that I, that I draw from a lot, but sometimes, you know, but if I can't find something that's free, then I'll get the theater company to buy it. Um, so I think a lot of, I mean, I think a lot of it is just, if you're creating your, know how to create your own work, it's not really an issue. If that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like fair comment kind of laws cover you. Like you're taking the original work, you're altering it in a way that tells a new story. It's obviously not the original work. Yeah. You're probably okay. Uh, if you if you go beyond the public domain and yeah. use something that's kind I, I, of... I, I really try not to. Yeah. Like it's, um, sometimes there's... They'll ask, they'll ask for it in a show. Like there'll be... Um, you know, you need to see this clip of... John F. Kennedy or whatever the hell it is. Like we did a Frost Nixon show and there was some stuff that needed to be purchased because, or I did a Vita once and we wanted to play like clips from, you know, the actual time period. And, and, uh, so we needed to go to Getty and I mean that it was so expensive, so expensive. Um, what do you think, like, do you think it's a good idea? Like given the discussion we've had about fees in the business and the work involved, you think someone should become a projection designer? Do you think that that's a good idea for people to go into theater generally in design? Or, um, you know, what would you say to someone who's considering this as a career? Well, first I'll speak to, I mean, you, you spoke earlier about how, you know, lighting design skills are transferable into the corporate world. And projection falls into that. Like I've been able to, to do some corporate work. Um, I've, I probably could get into movies and stuff too with my skills that I have. It's not what I want to do right now, but uh, I could. So there is, and or you know, an advertising firm or whatever like that. So there is crossover. Mm-hmm. So I think it really, um, and I think that it's going to. I mean, I, I just lost a corporate gig to a um, uh, a bunch of uh, Romanian. Uh, mm designer um you know after effects photoshop people um because they uh, they undercut me by you know i think i uh, i said it was going to take four thousand dollars to do this one thing and they did it for 500 so i think there's going to be issues that are going to come up there because it's it's a global industry Mm -hmm. but in theory there's a lot of crossover so you know the skills that you're going to learn you can you can apply in different areas Mm -hmm. you know i feel blessed and fortunate and privileged to do what i do Mm -hmm. Um, me being here is not just a product of my passion mm-hmm. and my love. It's a, it's a product of growing up, um, as a privileged person in Calgary and I don't have any debt. I didn't have any debt coming out of school. Um, I, I was able to invest in, in equipment early on cause there's that you need to buy a computer and, you know, and I was able to do that and, and not lose my shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I think that needs to be a part of you know, my encouragement is to be, is to, is to kind of admit my, the, the story of me and that got me here. However, all that being said, I mean, just to speak in 
you know, in, in cliches, you know, I love what I do. I love the people The theater people are the best. You know, there's a, there's a, you know, I hear about other people's jobs and how boring they are. Like I'd never, I'm never bored. And I know there's other life stuff and the financial struggle is real, but ultimately like I come to work with people that I adore generally. I, um, I'm, I'm, I, every day I fight and I, and I, and I, I get excited and I get curious and I get inspired and I feel blessed to be able to do that every, every, almost every day of my life. I have that. Um, so, you know, I, this, when I was an, an actor at studio 58, they're like, if there's other things that you want to do or that you think you could do, do it. But if you want to be a theater artist and that's all you can imagine being a theater artist, I wouldn't, I would never discourage someone from, from doing it. That, and that's me, man. I love theater. I've, and I love other things in life, but you know, I've done theater since I was 12, you know, it's what I know. Um, so yeah, do it. I mean, it's, it's struggles real, but it's, it's really rewarding. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be on. That was projection designer Jamie Nesbitt talking to me from Niagara-on-the-Lake in June of 2018. Next time, an interview with set and costume designer Dana Osborne. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at thetitleblockca and on facebook.com slash thetitleblockpodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to thetitleblock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you try to figure out how much you have to change that art you found on the internet so no one will notice when you put it in your show. Does anyone know? I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. 